The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. I have just a couple of, of, of other announcements I want to make sure you know about because the end of this month is Easter. Did you know that? We have now entered Easter month, and Easter uh, at Harvest is a really, really big deal. And so we have quite a few things that are going to help us uh, to get ready uh, for Easter, and I want to make sure that you know about them. And the first one is this, and you're going to want to make sure you mark this down or you're, you're going to miss it, okay? So Easter Sunday, uh, we're going to do two services on Easter Sunday to make room because so many of you are going to bring friends and family with you. And so we need a little bit, like, look around. There's not a lot of seats open right now. And so we're going to do two services, one at 9, one at 11. And I, wanna, I, wanna, I really, really want to tug on all of those uh, that are part of Dream Team because on that Sunday, here's what I need from you, is I need you to attend one and I need you to serve at one, okay? Attend one and serve one and Easter is Sunday is gonna be absolutely fantastic. Now, if you've been at Harvest for uh, very long, you know one of our core values, we say it this way, is we love our city. And, and what that really means is that we're constantly looking for ways to take the church outside of the walls and to be a part of our community. And so uh, for a lot of years now, we've done a community-wide Easter egg hunt, and we're doing that again this year. And uh, last year we did this. We started partnering with our local school, and we actually do the egg hunt at the school. So it'll be at Marie Hughes Elementary. That'll be the day before Easter on the 30th. And uh, starting today, you can sign up on the website or the Church Center app to let us know that you want to help with that. And uh, there's so many ways to serve. You can show up early and help set up. You can spread the eggs. You can cook hot dogs. You can serve the hot dog. There's so many different ways, and it's just a really fun way for us to be part of, uh, of our community. And so that's happening on the 30th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And then the day before that is our prayer walk. So we're going to actually meet on that Friday at 6 p.m. at Marie Hughes, and we're just going to take about 30, 45 minutes and just kind of walk around the school and into the community and just pray and just ask God to, um, to, to just bless the efforts as we, we, we do the egg hunt the next day. And so you can join us in prayer. And then also, because we're doing 15,000 Easter eggs. Did you hear that? 15,000 Easter eggs. And so on Sunday, March the 17th, we're going to do an egg stuffing party, okay? So we have the eggs. And we have the candy. We just need your help getting the candy into the egg. And so if you'll let us know that you want to stay and be a part of that, we'll order pizza. It's a big party. We basically, after service, we all move into the kids area. We set up tables. We fill up eggs. We eat pizza. Often you're sitting across from someone you don't even know. You make a new friend because uh, we don't do life alone also at Harvest. And so it is so, so much fun. So that is all the stuff that's coming up this month because of Easter. Are you excited? That didn't convince me, but all right, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Okay. Hey, um, we're in a series. It's really, it's really a theme for 2024 called Jesus 
over everything. Are you beginning to believe that Jesus is over everything in your life? And, and what I want to do uh, for the next couple of weeks, really probably for this month, is I want to teach you what I believe is one of those, the most practical ways for us to put Jesus over everything. And it's through a discipline that I'm sure you've heard of, but maybe you, you have some questions about. It's through the discipline of prayer, okay? And I want to tell you one quick story. Last Sunday night, we we started something called Alpha. We had like 81 adults and I think 47 uh, teenagers that started week one of Alpha. It was phenomenal, by the way. We're, week two is tonight. Don't miss Alpha uh, tonight. But also, here's, here's something that happened, and I love this about our team, is we knew we had to provide uh, child care so that moms and dads could come to Alpha. But very rarely, very rarely do we do child care where we don't teach the kids about Jesus and this was one of those where we said, you know, we could just put a movie on and give them some popcorn and just, just do child care. But Pastor Brittany said, no, 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 we got to take advantage of this. And so Pastor Brittany was teaching your kids about prayer last Sunday night during Alpha. Your kids were learning about prayer. And she actually passed out some prayer journals and she put on some worship music. And she had the kids, they found a spot in the kids' room where they got quiet before the Lord. And the, these kids are like journaling and drawing pictures and, and, and writing out what they heard God speaking to them. And, uh, and, and in that, by the way, in that three kids um, uh, prayed a prayer of salvation last Sunday night during Alpha, which is awesome, right? And then they were going to transition into the next thing. And one of the little girls came to Pastor Brittany. She said, Pastor Brittany, I'm not done talking to Jesus. Can I keep my journal and just, just I just need a little more time with Jesus. How awesome is that? Okay. So shout out to Pastor Brittany, all of our Harvest Dream Team that does kids ministry. They are incredible. I love what God's doing in, our, in the next generation. It's absolutely incredible. You know, prayer, it just, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think often it just seems like this big, kind of some, sometimes seemingly complicated topic, right? Like, like, like we tell people a lot of times in church that you should pray, but I don't know that all the time we do a really good job of equipping you to know how to pray. And so I want to, I want to take some time in this month. We're just, we're, this is what I think is going to happen. This is going to get us ready for Easter. Okay. We're going to, our hearts, by the time Easter rolls around at the end of the month, you and I are going to be ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so let me just start with this because prayer at its, at its core is really, really simple. Prayer is simply conversation with God, conversation with God. Now, prayer, um, or conversation, rather, it requires two, there's two parts of communication, okay? Men, I'm about to help you out, not just in prayer, but also in your marriage, okay? Prayer has two parts. All the men right now are like, what? I didn't understand. Prayer has two parts. Talking, that's the part we tend to get really well, and listening. That's the part that some of us don't do as well. I've told this story before. Some of you have heard it, but when Lisa and I started dating in college, she one day gave me a gift, and the gift was a little pocket guide to communication, okay? And it was super offensive, and still to this day, I don't know why she gave it to me, um, but she did, okay? And here, here's, the, here's the deal. Probably all of us can get better 
at both of these parts of communication with one another and especially with the Lord. And so prayer, it's really, really simple, but I think we're going to make some steps in these coming weeks. We're going to learn how to do this a little bit better. And, and today, today we're going to talk about the power of prayer. Now, every Sunday we say a prayer about this point in the message that it really, what this prayer does is it emphasizes the listening side of prayer. So here's how we do this is, is as we get ready to open God's word, we just pause. We say about a 20 second prayer that goes something like this. It says, God, I'm opening your word and I'm also opening my heart. That means I'm listening. Like I'm tuning in. Whatever happened this week, whatever happened this morning, whatever, whatever plans you have for the afternoon, like we're just tuning in. We're saying, God, this next little bit of time, I just really want to hear from you. And what happens as we say this prayer is that the Holy Spirit breathes life into the word of God as it's coming through the sermon. And, and what happens is that the Lord talks to you individually in this moment about what you need for today, for your family, for your life. And I just, I see it every single week. So we just keep doing it. We pause and we really elevate this time where the, the word of God is, is, is taught so that we can see what God has for us today. And so would you join me 20 second prayer and let's just position our hearts for the word of God today. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful for your word that guides us, that speaks to us, that challenges us, that helps us. And so, Lord, as we open your word right now, we, uh, we open our hearts. We say, God, we're listening today. We want you to talk to us today. So, Lord, will you do that all across this room? In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Now, there are different kinds of prayers, and I'm not going to get into a lot of that today, but in the same way that a skilled carpenter will have multiple tools at his or her you know, disposal, some, some of us, we, we need some different types of prayers. Now, I brought with me a screwdriver this morning, and there's nothing wrong with a screwdriver, okay? If, if you've ordered you know, some, some furniture, some Ikea furniture that, that you know, is from the devil and, and the instructions, you know, do, do you no good, um, but, but you get your screwdriver out and you, you start putting that, that together, okay? Lisa laughs at me because from time to time we'll have some furniture that needs to be put together and she knows that I'm basically going to take the instructions and I'm going to set them to the side and I'm going to look at the picture and then whatever tools it says I need, I'm going to go to the garage and I'm going to get my own tools that I think I'm going to need and I, and I put the piece of furniture together. And here, here's the deal. As a screwdriver, is, it's a fine tool. It, it does its job well. But I tend to believe that certain jobs don't just need a hand tool. They need a power tool, right? They need, so, so here, I, I'm just going to trade you. I'm going to let you take the screwdriver, and I'm going to take the power. Some jobs, I could get some Ikea furniture put together with a screwdriver, but if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna frame a wall, if I'm gonna, you know, put something together, I'm gonna need some, I'm gonna need some power, right? Like I need, I need, I need more than a screwdriver. And here's what I want you to know about prayer is that, in my opinion, that prayer is a power tool. Okay, in your arsenal of weapons as a follower of Jesus, when you pull 
out the tool of prayer. It has some power. Today I'm going to talk to you about the power of prayer. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be in God's word today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19, it says this. We'll read the whole passage and then we'll unpack it. Verse 13 says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, Notice where he's at. We're going to talk about that because it's important. Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? So, so he starts out, who do people say I am? He makes it personal. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible, Simon Peter answers, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Remember, we're talking about the power of prayer, and this whole passage kind of sets up the very end of this passage where he makes this announcement, on this rock, I will build my church, the gates of hell won't be able to come against it. And then this is where he starts talking about prayer. He says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. You'll have the power, the ability to, to bind things on earth, and I'll bind them in heaven. You'll have the power to loose things on earth, and I'll loose them in heaven. So I want to talk to you about the power of prayer, and, and I want to give you four, just four words that I think help us to understand what happens in this passage. And the first word is this, is revelation. Everyone say revelation. 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 Here's what's happening in this passage. Jesus' question to Peter sets him up for a revelation. He starts out, who do people say that I am? They give him a little bit of an answer, and he looks at them, and I think he's, he's asking this of you and I today as well. He says, but who do you say that I am? Can I just tell you that I believe this is the most important question that any of us will ever answer in our lives. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you. And he asked Peter this question, and I don't know if you caught it, but when he asked him, he, he referenced Peter. He, uh, he, he said, Peter bar Jonah. That means Peter, son of Jonah. Now, at the beginning of this, this passage in Matthew 16, we also see this same title. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're asking Jesus for a sign from heaven. And in his response, he says to them, he says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Then we get further into the passage, and he calls Peter Simon, son of Jonah, which, by the way, this is the only time that Jesus calls him Peter, uh, the, the son of Jonah. And so it, it makes us ask this question, well, who is Jonah? And some of you might know who Jonah is. I know who Jonah is from, um, from kids' church, right? This is one of the stories that, that in kids' church that, that we teach. And, and looking back, I kind of wonder why we teach this, because it's kind of a scary story about a guy who gets thrown over the, the side of the boat and a giant fish. Often we just say Jonah and the whale. We don't actually know if it's a whale, except 
concept that a whale is one of the only fish big enough to do this, comes up and swallows Jonah. And Jonah spends three days in the belly of this well. So Jonah, if you don't know, he's a preacher, um, he's an evangelist, he's a prophet of God, and, and, and he was, was told to go to the city of Nineveh to preach the gospel. He didn't want to go, so he got on the boat to go the other way, and then a storm comes, and that's how he ended up in the belly of a well. And I don't know if you've ever picked up on this, but Jonah and what happens as he's swallowed by a well, it's a prophetic picture of Jesus and what's to come. Because th this is why, this is why in, in Matthew 16, he talks about the sign of Jonah. Because in the same way that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the well, Jesus will spend three days and three nights in the grave. And in Jonah chapter 2, it's, a, it's interesting because in Jonah chapter 2, as Jonah's in the belly of this well, he, 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 says, he says, I went down to the depths of Sheol, and there I prayed. Okay, so notice, um, which by the way, I was about to say, notice that when Jonah's in the belly of the well, he prayed. But then I, then I realized as I was saying that, if I was in the belly of the well, I would pray too. Anyone else? Like, I, I mean, what else do you do in the belly of a well, right? If you find yourself still alive in the belly of the well, just pray. Right? Just, just start praying. And Jonah, he's, it's interesting. He says he's in the depths of Sheol. And, and I, don't know if, I don't know if you care about this kind of stuff. Do you care about this kind of stuff? Do you want to learn about this? I, I feel like this is, today's a little more of a, like a Bible school class maybe than a Sunday morning. But, but, but he, he says, I'm in the, I'm in the depths of, of Sheol. Okay? Now, all, all of this connects, I promise. I'm still in Matthew, but I'm telling you about Jonah. Because Jesus said, he said, Peter, son of Jonah. And he's, he's referencing what happens to, to actual Jonah. He's, he's in the, the belly of the well, and he's crying out to the Lord. And what we see here, when all of this happens, is that Peter has a revelation. A revelation is just kind of a church word for when God speaks to you. When God tells you something that you would not know on your own. When God imparts knowledge or wisdom or discernment that cannot be attained by any human natural thinking. And, and, and this is how God reveals himself to us is he'll speak things to your heart. He'll, he'll speak things through his word. He'll, he'll often, he'll, he'll give you a solution that you've been wondering, you've been thinking about, you've been processing, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit will, will give you a solution. He'll show you something in a dream. And, and, and let me just tell you that this is why we pause and we pray every Sunday before we talk about God's word is because I work really hard all week long to be ready to share God's word with you. But what I want for you is at the end of the day, I actually don't care if you've heard anything from me. What I want is that while we're studying God's word, that the Holy Spirit causes it to come alive and you have a revelation. Because here's the deal. By the time most of you leave the parking lot today, you will have already forgotten what I've said. Okay, But if the Holy Spirit brings you a revelation, it changes your life. And this is what we see in Peter in this encounter with Jesus is he has 
a revelation. In fact, I'll just share with you a couple of stories to kind of teach you, show you how, how much we as a team, how we value this idea of hearing from the Lord. So uh, when the Lord speaks to me, um, I often, not quite every time, but most of the time, I will find time quickly, as quickly as I can, to journal uh, what, what the Lord's speaking to me, because I know it's like, in fact, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you when it started is uh, my friend Rachel Hans uh, came to me one day and she'd been praying for us. She had a prophetic word for Lisa and I and for Harvest. She shared it with me. And then she asked me, she said, Pastor, do you ever write these things down? And I was kind of convicted because I don't know about you, but um, I, I know how short my memory is. Anyone else? And so I realized then, and so I literally started a, a note um, that I just can go back to at any time where I write down the things that God is telling me. And so I'll just tell you a couple that have happened in the last couple of months because I think you'll be encouraged by them. As we were coming out of 2023 and into 2024, I had one of the most vivid um, dreams that I've had in a really long time. As I share it with you, it, it won't be hard for you to see the prophetic um, piece of what God was talking to me about. In my dream, I was in a downtown location and, and there, were, there, were, there, were, there was bi this big building, kind of a high-rise building, and the building was on fire. And as I'm looking at this building in my dream, I noticed that no one in the streets really cared or really noticed that the building was on fire. And I noticed, and I'm like, guys, the building's on fire. You got to get out of there. And I can see in the windows, and what I saw was a lot of young families. I mean, there, there were moms and dads pushing strollers and, and little children, and they had kids by the, you know, toddlers, and they're all, and they started panicking when they realized there was a fire. And all of a sudden, in my dream, the Lord showed me the way to get out of the building. And so I would, I would get a, a person's attention, and I would direct them, and I would run around the corner, and I showed them, there's a hole where you can get out of the fire. And they would get out of the fire, and I would run back around. I'd find someone else. I'd show them way to, the way to go. And I don't know if this has happened to you, but I woke up, and I was sweating. I mean, I woke up, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I feel like I just ran a marathon, you know? And I realized in that moment, as I, as I woke up, that, that the Lord was speaking to me. So I got my phone and I started just writing down and I said this, I, and this, I'm trying to teach you how to hear from the Lord, how to have revelation as I said this. I laid in my bed, I said, Lord, that dream was for you, from you. I know that it was. What are you wanting me to learn from that dream? And I just started writing things down and I have time to tell you all of the things, um, but I can tell you this, is that for sure the Lord was telling me that in 2024 that Harvest was so, supposed to be very, very focused on finding people that are headed towards hell and that we're supposed to show them the way to salvation. And so we're, I'm just telling you, we've gotten more focused than probably ever in our history about leading people into right relationship to, with Jesus. And part of it, we were kind of headed that way, but this dream was a, it was an awakening. Like, this is what I'm asking you to do. Is this helping you? All right. I don't, I was going to tell you more, but I think I'm just going to keep going. One of the things we do as a staff every Tuesday, we have staff meeting, but before we meet, we come in here, we come in this room and we just turn some music on and we just kind of separate across the room and most of our staff pray like I do, which means we just walk and pray. I'm not very good at sitting and praying. I'm a walker. And so we spread out for you know, 20, 30 minutes and we just pray. We walk around, we pray. We play this little game where we see how much trash we can pick up while we're praying. 
We collect it. We take a picture of it at the end of prayer that has no spiritual impact. It just is fun for us to do. And then we gather, we gather and we just say, hey, what, what, a, what, a God, what did God say to you in the last 15, 20 minutes? And we just kind of popcorn style. We go around and, and everyone shares. And, and it's just amazing how in that 15 or 20 minutes, the revelation that will visit us, the revelation that'll come where all of a sudden it was like, man, God was speaking this to me and kind of the same thing to you and the same thing. And then what we do is we just take that and we, that focuses, it focuses our ability and we say, okay, let's pray over that. Let's commit that to the Lord. Is this helping you? So this, this is revelation. This is what we're seeing in Matthew 16. Now I will teach you this, is that even when God gives you revelation, it will still require faith to believe it, okay? It, 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 it's, it's encouraging when you have revelation, you know, like, this is what I'm supposed to go after, but you need to know that following Jesus will always require you to exercise faith. So even when you know what God's saying, you still have to put faith into action. So in this passage, we see revelation, and then we see, second, we see an illustration, okay? Verse 18 says, I say to you Pete, that you're Peter on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus gives, uh, the, the, God gives Peter a revelation, and now Jesus is giving Peter an illustration. Now, if you kind of study the words here, when, he, when he's talking to Peter, he uses a word that basically means, he, it means, Peter, you're a little rock. And then he, say, he changes words, and he says, on this rock, and that word means big rock. So he says, you're a little rock, but on this big rock, I am going to build my church. And you have to remember that this episode in the scripture is happening in a, in a geographical place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi was on the northern edge of Galilee, and it was a very, very wicked city. It was so wicked that, that a Jewish rabbi would not have gone there, but Jesus went there. And I just have to say, because we're talking about Jesus over everything, I love that Jesus will go places that no one else will. Anyone else with me? I love that the scripture teaches that Jesus doesn't wait for us to get things cleaned up in our lives, but he searches us out. He comes to the broken, to the dirty, to the hurting. To the, he goes to the wicked places. So here's Jesus at Caesarea Philippi. He's got his disciples with them. And so he decides that he's going to teach them through an object lesson. Now in Caesarea Philippi, there would have been this huge rock, I mean giant rock wall, and they, they probably could see it as Jesus is saying, hey, on this little rock, I'm going to build a big rock, right? And they probably are literally seeing this rock, and this rock would have had lots of inscriptions carved into the stone to pagan gods, to uh, illustrate the level of wickedness. Let me, I'll just tell you, there, there, there was a temple there to the God of Pan, the God of fertility. And the priests there, this is wicked, this is evil, this is disgusting, but, but this is Caesarea Philippi. The, 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 the priests at this temple to Pan, they would have sex with animals and they would have temple prostitutes under the guise of worship. They would, they would worship through these sexual acts. So, so this is a wicked city. 
And Jesus is standing there in front of this rock, and there was a hole in the rock. Um, and, and this hole they called the Gate of Hades. Okay? Now it's starting to make sense now because here, you know, remember Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not prevail. So as he's saying this, the listener is literally looking at the rock. They probably could see the gate of Hades. And they believed that this was the gate to the underworld, okay? Now, I'll teach you just a little bit. Hades in Roman theology was the realm of the dead. And they, they believed because of the wickedness of this city that this, this gate, this hole in the rock, it provided access to the underworld. That's why there was so much wickedness happening there. And now I'm going to connect back to Jonah because if you remember, he, he called him Peter, son of Jonah, of Jonah. And in Christian theology, as Jesus is talking about this, the realm of the dead is a place they would have called Sheol. Okay, are, are we connecting to the dots now? So you have, you have Peter, son of Jonah, and then you go back to the book of Jonah and the prophet Jonah who says, I went down into Sheol and I prayed. And, and if you don't know what Sheol is, then none of this makes any sense. So I got to help you with it. I will teach you what Sheol is. So Sheol would have been divided into two areas. This is where, in, in Scripture, people would have gone after they died. And they would have gone to one of two places. Number one, they would have gone, if they were wicked, they would have gone to a place called Hades. Okay, This is similar to hell. This is a place of torment. It's a place of fire. And they would have, they would have waited for the afterlife in Hades. And then the righteous dead would have gone to a place, um, this sounds really weird, but a place Called, called Abraham's bosom or paradise. So if you remember Jesus on the cross, there's a thief on one side, a thief on the other side, and the one thief uh, uh, turns to Jesus and asks for forgiveness, and what does he say to him? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you remember this? And so the, when you died, you went to either one of these two places. And when Jesus died, which I, I'm hoping, I'm trying to get you ready for Easter. When Jesus died, he went to both places and he went, he went for two reasons. One, he went to paradise to free the righteous dead. Okay, I don't have time to show you, but you can read it in 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 4. But he also went to Hades. You can read about this in Revelation. There's a picture there in Revelation chapter 9. And, it, and he went to Hades to preach the victory. Okay? In other words, like he, he's announcing his victory. And in that passage, he takes the keys, which also comes into Matthew 16. He takes the keys from Satan, death, hell, and the grave. Is, are, you, are you starting to get ready for Easter now? I'm trying really hard, I promise you. So Hades is a very real place in theology. And Jesus is standing in Caesarea Philippi. There's the rock, there's the hole, there's the gate of Hades. So in Roman belief, there was a, it, was a, it was a place, but also it was a person because in Roman theology, there were these major gods, Jupiter, Neptune, and Hades. So Hades was also a god. Do you see what, what Jesus, what the church is up against, right? We read this passage, right? And we focus in on this, you know, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. And it's a great verse for us to go, woo, come on, right? But there's a lot here. Like there is a lot going on. There's a lot packed into this statement. Now in Christian theology, um, he, we might confuse what I'm teaching here, um, this idea of Hades with, you might say, well, aren't you talking about 
hell, but hell isn't even open yet because hell is created for Satan and his demons. And what scripture teaches us is that when Christ returns, that he'll take the true believers to heaven and he'll open up hell for all of the, all of the wicked to go there. But thank goodness he has provided a way for us to be saved. Anyone, anyone happy about that? By the way, it's somewhat popular today for people to develop a theology that doesn't include hell. And I felt like as I was studying this passage, I knew it was, it was a bit of an education to kind of weave through all of these passages of Scripture. But I also feel like it's one of my duties as your pastor to educate you on the correct theology. Because what, wouldn't it be nice to have a theology that doesn't believe in hell? Like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice for there just to be a happy ever after for everyone? But the scripture doesn't teach that. So you won't find us teaching that here. So I, I want to help you with this because, because a theology that doesn't involve hell, in my opinion, is a wrong theology. So I go back to our scripture today and Jesus shows up and he says to Peter, Peter, you're a little rock but I'm gonna build a big rock. I'm gonna build my kingdom. And I hope this excites you as much as it excites me because as I, here's what happened. I was sitting in my office. I was reading this part of the passage and I was literally writing these words. I, I was writing, I'm so thankful that God doesn't build his kingdom in the pretty places, but he builds in the ugly places, in the wicked places, in the dark places, in the evil places. In fact, here he is declaring that the gates of Hades cannot stop the kingdom of God. And as I wrote that this week in my office, my phone rang and it was Lisa. And I, I thought that because that, um, she had left the office to pick up a child to go to a place and I had to go to get the other one and, and we had all these moving parts. So I answered the phone assuming that Lisa was just calling me to, to navigate the details. And, and so I just picked up, I said, hey, what's going on? And, and, and on the other end of the phone, I could tell about this fast that it wasn't one of those phone calls. And she shared some news with me that was, was devastating for, for us, for our family. And as I listened to that, I'm literally sitting at my desk with Matthew 16 open in front of me, and she's sharing this news with me. And through tears, I, said, I, I listened, and then I said, Lisa, I just have to tell you what I was reading when you called me, because I don't think it was an accident. I said, I said, when you called to tell me this news, I was reading where Jesus declared to the world, I build my kingdom in the pain of human life. I build my kingdom in the wickedness of, of human. I build my kingdom. And... I said, Lisa, I'm just telling you, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Listen, some of you need that word today. Some of you, because of the week you've had, or the month you've had, or the year you've had, need to be reminded that Jesus doesn't just build his kingdom in the pretty places, but he shows up in the brokenness of humanity. He says to Peter, he says, Peter, you're a little rock. Have you ever felt like a little rock? Anyone? Anyone? He says, hey, Peter. He, he wasn't being offended, offensive, but he said, Peter, Peter, you little rock. <laughs> On you, I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm so thankful that God decides to build his big kingdom on a bunch of little rocks. 
on a bunch of, on a bunch of little, little pebbles, right? I mean, we're just, we're little, we're little rocks. So this is, this is the illustration of the revelation, okay? Did you see it? Did you see the illustration? And then it's time for, here's the third word, for the explanation. Matthew 16, verse 18, here's the explanation. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So the question is this, this is what Jesus is answering. How is Jesus going to reclaim the earth that is ridden with sin and evil? How is he gonna reclaim the earth and build his kingdom? And he says it right here, he explains it, okay? He says, I will build my church. The word church is it's a pretty interesting word. If you go back to the original Greek and you study it, it's, it's actually two words that come together. It, the word is ekklesia. Ek means out of, and, and klesis means a calling. So it means you are called out of. You're called out of. And I just want to be clear with you about something. The church that Jesus is building is made up of people who are called out of the world, and this is important, y'all. This is important because he calls us out of the world to be different than the rest of the world to show that there's another way, <laughs> to show that you can live differently than what culture wants you to believe is the norm. He calls you, I'll just say it this way, to not be normal. <laughs> now, some of you have taken that too far, but... <clears throat> He calls you out of the world to live different, to talk different, to be married different, to parent different, to, to handle your finances different. I mean, someone comes in that's part of the world and they hear us talk about living with open hands. And they're going in their minds or in their hearts, they're going, that sounds stupid. That's not how I want to live. I'm going to accumulate but the kingdom says you don't have to accumulate because at the end you're gonna be buried in the ground and you don't get to take any of it with you and the life that really matters isn't the life now, but it's the life after in eternity so we can live open-handed. Are you following me? So he calls us out of. This is ecclesia. I will build my church. He says I'm gonna call you out of. This word ecclesia has a second meaning and you need to know it because it's gonna help you to understand what, what Jesus is up to here. It means an assembly or gathering of people, okay? And in Matthew's uh, writing, his audience, when they heard this word ecclesia, we hear church, and so we think of a place like this where people gather on a Sunday or, or whatever day of the week, and we sing songs, and we, we have coffee, and we teach the Bible, and we have kids service, and we have youth and all. That's what you and I think. But Matthew's audience, when they heard ecclesia, they would have actually thought of a governmental ruling body. So imagine like, you know, we, we might think, you know, a, a senate or, or house of representatives. We, we, like in their minds, they thought of this, this governmental ruling body. So, so again, Jesus is explaining, right? He's explaining. He's, he's saying, hey, Peter, you see that big rock? You're a little rock. You might not think you're much, but I'm going to build my governmental body, right? The ruling body, the deciding power, and it's going to be so powerful that the gates of hell can't get against it. 
So I'll just remind you, our theme for 2024, Jesus over everything. So Jesus says, he says, the gates of Hades can't come against it. This is another, there's so much in this, this scripture. The gates, why does he say gates, right? You have to understand that, that gates meant something. Gates of a, of a biblical city, that was the place where business was done. There wasn't a city hall. Meetings, it was like, hey, hey, um, hey, Kurt, let's meet at the city gate to talk, right? Or, or you, you, you'd announce to your group, hey, we're meeting at the gates, right, for our life group, right? And it was, a, it was a, a meeting place. It was a place where people gathered. In fact, if the king wanted to, to announce something, he would announce it at the gates because the gates, it was a place of excitement. There was, a, it was, there was activity. There was always people coming and going. There were people hanging out at the gates because they wanted to know what was happening in their city. So the gates, this was a big deal, so I want you to think again about all of the ideas that are wrapped up in this phrase, the gates of Hades won't prevail. What he's saying is this, he's explaining that the decisions of Hades will not prevail. Anyone happy about that? Has anyone, has anyone had a decision of hell that has come against you and you need to be reminded today that the decisions of hell will not be able to come against you? He, he, he's saying here, he's saying, the authority of hell will not be able to prevail. Does that help anyone this morning? He's saying the attacks of hell will not, like they're going to come. They're going to come. You're going to get those bad reports. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have pain. It's going to come, but it's not going to prevail. And I just love that the Jesus that I follow brought the fight to the front lines. That's what he's declaring when he says, the gates. He's like, listen, y'all, I am going to show up at the meeting place where the governmental ruling body has authority and makes decisions and makes announcements over my people. I am going to show up there. That's Jesus. He didn't just wait for the battle to come. He's on the front lines. So in this passage, we see a revelation. We see an illustration. We get an explanation. And here's the fourth word that I really, I want to help you with. This really, this brings it to prayer now. Because now I want you to, to see the authorization. This is where we really learn about prayer. Verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. My dad preached uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And, and uh, if you were here, he handed keys out. Y'all remember that? And he talked about how how he, he was using it to help us to see that keys represent access. Keys represent authority. You know, if I give you a key to my house, what I'm saying is I'm giving you the authority to come into my house. Now, you still have to deal with our dog, but I'm giving you access, okay? Giving you access. By the way, y'all, our dog went to the vet this week, and she bit, he bit the, the vet in the face, is that not crazy? Bit the vet in the face. Don't mess with my dog. I'm just telling you, all right? When I give you the key, <laughs> I don't know why I told you all that. When I give you, isn't it fun to have an ADHD preacher, right? You just, you just never know. You just never know. When I give you the key, I am giving you authority to go into places that I have secured, okay? Are, are we on the same page? 
So Jesus is saying here, I'm going to show you how to dismantle Satan's authority as the church because I'm going to give you the keys. Now, I mentioned this earlier. There are Christ followers who don't believe in hell. On the same note, there are Christ followers who don't believe in the devil. And, and I just want you to know that the devil loves when you don't believe that he exists. It makes his job a lot easier. So let me just go on record as saying that we believe that the devil is real and he is after you, always. He is always after you. That's why Ephesians 6, verse 12 tells us, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? That's the, the stuff that happens in the normal, right? That's what happens when you're driving down Paseo and some dude in a little sports car decides he needs to be in your lane more than you need to be in your lane, right? In that moment, I am tempted to believe that dude in little sports car needs a lesson because he is the enemy, and Lisa says, babe, you don't have to, you know, you can, you can break. You don't have to get up on them. And I'm like, but my job is to teach people lessons. <laughs> You're tempted when you get in a fight with your spouse. And it just escalates. And the, the volume and the words and the meanness. You are tempted to think that maybe you married the enemy. You are tempted when your child grows up and becomes a teenager to think that they have been recruited as a demonic power against you. <laughs> Can I just tell you that none of those are the enemy? That your enemy has a name, his name is Satan, and he hates you. And he is against you. And he wants to do everything to destroy your life. So Ephesians says, our, flat, our battle, our wrestle, it's not, it's not the, the traffic, the, the spouse, the child, the boss. It's not, it's not the political party. It's not any of those things. But against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts. That, that's Like there is a team of evil that is coming at you. And against the wickedness in the heavenly places. Your enemy is the devil. We have battles for three reasons. This will be really fast. We have battles on this earth for three reasons. Number one, we live in a fallen, sinful world. In Genesis, Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, they, they sinned. Sin was introduced into the world, and we're still fighting that today. And Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. What he's acknowledging is the world is broken, and can I just tell you, it will remain broken until Jesus returns. There's not a leader on the planet that can fix the brokenness. There's not a political party that can fix the brokenness. There's not a solution outside of Jesus returning for his church. So there's just going to be some brokenness because we live in a fallen, sinful world. Here's the second reason we have battles is because our flesh has sinful desires. All of us. Our flesh desires things that are against the word of God. 
In James chapter 1, verse 14, it describes it in a powerful way. I taught this at men's conference a couple of weeks ago. It says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 says it this way. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. So every single one of us have desires that go against the kingdom of God. And, and it says in James that we are dragged away as we give in to those desires. So we have battles because we have desires to feed the flesh. And I'll just help you because we're talking about prayer today, really kind of setting up a message about prayer, is that, that all of us have desires, so you have to decide who you're going to feed. Am I going to feed my flesh or am I going to feed my spirit? And one of the ways we feed our spirit is through this thing called prayer. And this is why listening is so important is we talk to God and then we listen. And we're encouraged and we're taught and we're corrected and revelation comes and the spirit grows. And can I just tell you, as your spirit goes stronger, we develop the ability to resist the desires of the flesh. They're strong, they're real, they're built with a false promise that, that it will satisfy, and so we learn to resist those by building up the, the spirit man. So we have, we have battles because of the fallen sinful world we live in, because our flesh has desires, and then the third one is because we have an enemy and his name is Satan. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says this, it's a powerful, powerful concept, it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. If you go and you read that whole passage, it actually talks a lot about anger. And we learn that anger is a normal emotion and that it's okay to have anger, but it's what we do with our anger that causes us to sin. And right at that point, he says, don't give the devil a foothold. So I, I could just flesh it out in this way. The devil would love to have a foothold in your marriage, for example. And so you get in a fight and you don't handle it well, and you escalate, and you say things that you know you don't actually mean, and you shouldn't say, and you use words like divorce, and all of a sudden the devil goes, aha, there is my foothold. And the devil, listen, he doesn't need much, he just grabs that, just a little, he just, there it is. And then he says, I'm gonna build on that foothold to develop what the scripture calls a stronghold. See, a foothold, if I was a, I'm not, but if I was a rock climber, it's, it's interesting to me how little of a foothold a rock climber needs to get themselves up the face of a mountain. Have you, ever, have you ever watched? I'm talking about a good, I'm not talking about like go to the rock climbing gym and watch all the noobs. I'm talking like, like a rock climber. I mean, they, they need like, like that much. And they just get their foot on there and all of a sudden they're scaling a wall. The, listen, the enemy doesn't need much. So scripture says, don't give the enemy a foothold because a foothold eventually becomes a stronghold. And a stronghold, that's a military term. That is a place that has become fortified. So I'll go back to your marriage and you get in a fight and you say things you shouldn't say and one of you says, maybe we should just get divorced and in defense the other says, well maybe we should just get divorced. And the enemy says, now I have a foothold. And now your mind, you begin to think, 
Did he really mean that? Did she really mean that? Maybe we should. And the next fight that you have, it's much easier to go back to that word and to say it again. And now that idea is growing in your heart. And then all it takes is for someone to be nice to you at work and you begin to think, why doesn't my spouse treat me like that? You know why? They don't live with you. That's why. And you develop a fantasy in your, li- in your mind that this person at work who is so nice for all of three lousy minutes in the break room, they would make a better spouse than the one that I chose. And you see what's happening? It's getting fortified in your life. It's becoming a stronghold in your life. And all of us, I'm just, I'm trying to help you to see how your enemy, Satan, works. This is why 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish the fortified places. And here's how Matthew 16 says Jesus gives us the keys the keys, the authority to deal with the strong places that the enemy has established in our lives. And can I just tell you that different keys accomplish different tasks. I have in my pocket, I have some keys. I'm not giving you keys today, my dad already did that. And these are actual keys to things. I don't know where he got all those keys. This is the key to my truck. Isn't it interesting, anyone else have keys that they're making keys so weird now have have you noticed my wife's key isn't even a key she just gets close to her car and touches and it opens she gets in pushes a button she didn't even need the keys like stays in her pocket stays in her purse right if i give you the key you go out you get my truck you can take it wherever you want you can do whatever you want right just bring it back full of gas okay but here's here's the deal this is a key to my house if i gave you this key you can't go get in my truck You following me? If I give you this key, you can't get into my house. Different keys get you into different places. Keys give you access. Keys give you authority. So in the same way that you need the right key for the right lock, I'm about to help some of y'all in your life right now. You need the right key for the right problem that you're fighting. And the way you get the key is through prayer. The way you get the key is through prayer. I could spend the rest of the day telling you stories about how Lisa and I have prayed over each of our children at different phases of their life. And we've said, God, I don't know what to do to help child number one, two, or three. (laughs) And the Lord will give us a key to know what to do. I can't tell you how many times that we've prayed prayers over harvest and said, oh God, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do this. You gotta help us. God, what's the answer? What's the solution? And he just, he gives you a key. And all of a sudden, it's like you just open this door and all of a sudden you have access and you have authority. And some of you today, you're, you're pondering some episode of your life and you're wondering how you're going to get through it. And I'm just telling you, We've, we have this amazing revelation and illustration and, and, and explanation. And now the Lord is literally showing you how to have authorization to fight 
the medical diagnosis, the marriage problem, the parenting problem, the, the work problem, the financial problem, the, the whatever it is. But what's interesting is you need a different key than someone else over here. And I need a different key than so everyone. And the way you get that key is through prayer. It's through prayer. So why don't you stand with me? My worship team, they're gonna help us. They're gonna lead us in a, in a song. And here's what I wanna ask you to do. I wanna ask you in these final moments, I wanna ask you to ask the Lord for the key to unlock that place in your life where you need authorization because the devil has been winning in your life. And today that stops because today the Lord gives you the key. Now I'm gonna come back up. We're gonna pray together. We're gonna ask the Lord to help us. And then I'm just telling you this whole month, we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep doing down this, this path of prayer. We're gonna learn how to pray. I'm telling you by the, by the time Easter comes, you are gonna know how to pray. By the time Easter comes, like, you aren't going to be praying. I don't care if you pray, you know, puny prayers like, Lord, bless this food. That's fine. But by, by Easter, you're going to be praying powerful prayers. You're going to be tearing down strongholds. You're going to be going, marching up to the enemy saying, I have the key and you can't stop me. Are you following me? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.